The sermon that you are about to view is not a replacement of your participation and commitment to a local church, but we do hope it blesses you. Good morning. Welcome to church. My name is David, one of the pastors here. I, we have one more announcement. I have one announcement, and that is uh, our man, uh, Andrew Marcus, Pastor Andrew, has released a new single. A new single, yeah. It's called Take All of Me, and you can go to the record store and pick up the 45 this week. He still can do that, right? Yeah. No, it's, it's so good to have uh, Andrew um, just contributing to, uh, to, uh, to worship uh, around the world. And uh, yeah, his, his new song just came out, so that's good news. Uh, this morning we're going to carry on in our series on the Old Testament. We've been doing this since September. And uh, we've come a long way, even though we're only in 1 Samuel. We actually have come a long way. We've seen lots happen. We've seen uh, God's uh, vision for uh, the world. Uh, right at the very beginning, God created all things. He created humanity in his image. And his desire is for humanity to flourish. We flourish when we walk with him. We also read in the story of the Old Testament that uh, humanity, rather than... Uh, you know, submitting to God and walking with God, they thought, well, I'd rather be God. And they try to live independently of God, and it doesn't go well. And we see God um, not forgetting his dream and, and choosing a person named Abraham. Um, and he says to Abraham, he says, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And through your offspring, there's going to be this great nation. And this nation is going to be a light to all the other nations. Through, all, through this nation, all the other nations of the world will be blessed. And it looks really good, except, before you know it, this new nation is not, uh, they're languishing in slavery in Egypt. And uh, God has to rescue them. He brings them out of slavery. He uses a guy named Moses to bring them out of there. And then finally, they're on their way to the promised land. They kind of mess up again. They wander in the desert for a long time. Finally, they make it to the promised land. And you think, well, this is really good, except within two generations, they've basically adopted many of the idolatrous practices of the nations around them, and, it, and they get into trouble again. It's kind of a recurring theme. The theme that we're going to look at today, though, is the theme of kingship, is of kingship. And it marks a new era where Israel, God's people in the Old Testament, where Israel demands and they get a king. Now, why does Israel want a king? Do they want a king so that they can fulfill God's purposes and his promises? I'd like to say so, but that's not actually why they want a king. They want a king. Why? Because everyone else has a king. All the surrounding nations have a king, and so we want to have a king too. And so they want to look like everyone else. And so the question we're going to look at today is, how is this all going to work out? And what can we learn from it? And so we're going to be looking at the book of 1 Samuel. And so if you have a Bible, turn to 1 Samuel. It's a little ways in from the beginning. 1 Samuel. 
And we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 9 and following, because we're going to be looking at the first king, a guy named Saul. So 1 Samuel chapter 9, all right, turn there. If you don't have a Bible, grab one from the pew rack in front of you, and then keep it open, because this is a story that we're going to be looking at today. In honor of God's word, let's stand together as I read this. 1 Samuel chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. There was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, son of Zeor, son of Bekorath, the son of Aphia of Benjamin. Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as can be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. Now, the donkeys belonging to Saul's father, Kish, were lost. And Kish said to his son, Saul, take one of the servants with you and go look for the donkeys. So he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and through the area around uh, Shalisha, but they did not find them. So they went to the district of Shalim. The donkeys were not there. And he passed through the territory of Benjamin, but still did not find them. When they reached the district of Zuf, Saul said to the servant who was with him, he says, come on, let's go back. My father's going to stop thinking about the donkeys and start worrying about us. But the servant said, look, in this town, there's a man of God. He's highly respected. Everyone sa- everything he says comes true. Let's go there now. Perhaps he can tell us which way to take. Jump ahead to verse 14. They went up to the town, and as they were entering it, there was Samuel coming toward them on his way up to the high place. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked on my people, and their cry has reached me. When Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, This is a man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. Lord, this is your word. And you're not a philosophy, you're not a worldview, but you are present with us today. And this is your story that you've woven in history. And we pray this morning that you would draw points of intersection between our own lives and the life of Saul. So give us ears to hear and eyes to see, and soften hard hearts, and help us to to pay attention to our life and what you are doing. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, so in the life of Saul, we're introduced to Saul's dad. His name is Kish, and we read he's he's a man of wealth, he's a man of prominence, and he has a son, and his son's name is Saul. And Saul, we're told, is a pretty impressive guy. He's tall, he's good-looking, kind of a young, strapping guy. And, and, but when we meet Saul, who's full of promise, he's sent out on this mundane and routine task. His dad has lost donkeys, <laughs> and his job is to take his servant to go find the donkeys. All right, so he's off to find the donkeys. And Saul looks for the donkeys in all sorts of different places, can't find them. And finally, he's done. He's done. He's like, yeah, let's just go home. <laughs> let's just go home. We can't find the stupid donkeys. And um, it's interesting. He says to his servant, let's just go home. Now, maybe I'm reading into this, but I think it's interesting. I think it's telling that while he's looking for the donkeys high and low, Never once does he think to pray. 
servant says, well, hang on, let's not go yet. There's actually a man of God close by. He's a prophet. Why don't we go ask the prophet? I mean, if anybody knows where our donkeys are, it should be the prophet, right? Let's go ask the prophet Samuel, see, where we, see what we can find out. And so they go and they find Samuel. Now Samuel, Pastor Mark introduced us to Samuel last week. He's a prophet. And if anyone can help them find the donkeys, it should be this prophet. Now behind the scenes in all this, this is important. God is at work. And when Samuel sees Saul, God assures him that this man, this man is the one who is to be the king over Israel. Now I want us to pause just for a moment and put yourself into Saul's place. What would it be like for you to be sent out to be doing some boring, mundane task and then suddenly have your life turned upside down? I mean, here we have Saul. He's going to look for donkeys. He's looking for donkeys. And before you know it, you got this prophet pouring oil on his head and saying, you're going to be king. I, I, I don't know about you, but I read this. I read this, and it speaks to me. Because I don't know about you, but I, I find it easy to believe all the right things about God but really doubt that he'll have anything to do with the details of my life. I, I, I believe all the right things. I believe all the right things about God. But if push comes to shove, if I really think that he actually cares about the details of my day-to-day -to -day life, you know, I, I, would, I would question that. And yet the story of Scripture, the story of church history, is precisely this. God using ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Saul is looking for donkeys. But God is calling him to be king. Saul thinks he's just going out doing some, some ordinary task. And while he's doing this ordinary task, God shows up and his life is never the same. Now, I remember, I remember years ago um, when I was living overseas, wasn't a Christian, I was an atheist, I was doing business for a Hong Kong company up in Shanghai. And so I was, I was doing business and um, Chinese New Year was approaching and I had an opportunity to get out of Shanghai and go down to Hong Kong and uh, see some old friends. I used to live in Hong Kong and I, I had some buddies down there and so I didn't want to stay in Shanghai, Ch uh, Chinese New Year was coming so I was going to head down to Hong Kong but just before I left and I forget how it happened but somehow I got a letter and in this letter um, somebody told me, it's like, hey, David, your old buddy, Jeff, who you knew years ago in China, is actually going to be in Hong Kong during Chinese New Year. Here's his number. You should call him. I'm like, Jeff, I haven't seen Jeff for ages. He was a Christian fellow that I knew, but I hadn't talked to him for ages. And so I called him. I said, Jeff, I'm going to be in Hong Kong on these dates in Chinese New Year. Do you want to get together for coffee? He goes, yeah, let's get together. And so we, we met together at the Sheraton Hotel in the uh, coffee shop there on uh, Nason Road. And I sat down. I was talking to Jeff. And how, how's it going? What, what have you been up to over these years? And we had a great conversation. And our conversation turned to one point where he started asking me how I'm actually doing inside. And I'm like, oh, okay. This is what Christians do, right? Yeah, I'm, sad, I'm not really interested. And so he started, you know, asking me some tough questions. I'm like, you know, I'm good. I'm good. We'll see you, right? And he's like, when are you heading back to Shanghai? I said, well, I'm heading back tomorrow. He goes, well, I'm actually heading back to Vietnam. He was living in Vietnam at the time. 
He says, we're going to be at the airport at the same time. Because I have something for you. I'm like, all right. So I'm at the airport looking around. Don't see him. I'm about to get on my plane. And I see him out of the corner of my eye. I go, Jeff, you got something for me? He goes, yeah, here. He gives me this bag. And in the bag, there's a book. C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. I'm like, I'll take a look at this. Within two days, I'd read it twice. And I'd given my life to Jesus. All right? So I'm thinking I'm having coffee with an old buddy. God is thinking he's going to radically change my life. Right? And so we need to re realize that. I mean, one of the challenges for us is um, to do what um, a guy named Brother Lawrence says. We need to practice the presence of God and recognize that he is much more active in the details of our life than we realize. And to, and to pay attention to what he's doing. Are you open to this? Are you willing to pay attention? Well, this is what happens to Saul. <laughs> He's looking for donkeys. He comes back as a king, right? Now Samuel says to Saul, he says, you know, I'm going to give you three, three signs that this is going to come true, that you are going to become king. Here are the three signs. I like the first one. Don't worry about the st stupid donkeys. <laughs> the donkeys are okay, Saul. Don't worry about the donkeys. Stop looking for them. Second sign is that uh, three men are going to come and they're going to bring you food. The third sign is, Saul, you're going to bump into a bunch of prophets. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you're going to prophesy along with the prophets. Well, all three things happen. But here's the thing. Even when this is confirmed, Saul is a bit odd. I mean, this whole experience is a bit surreal for him. It's a bit strange. When Samuel says to Saul that God has something special for him in mind, Saul, initially, it's, it's interesting, Saul's response to Samuel, and it doesn't always come through in the English, but in the Hebrew, it's, it's, it's quite strong language. Saul's response to Samuel is like, what the heck are you talking about? That's essentially what he's saying. Kind of rude. Like when Samuel says, you're going to be king, he's like, what are you even talking about? There's that. And that's a bit of a warning. Could it be that this whole becoming king is going to be something he's going to struggle with? Secondly, it's interesting because when, when, when Saul comes home, he meets his uncle. And his uncle asks him a question. Saul, where were you? He goes, I was looking for donkeys. Um, he goes, well, what happened? He goes, I met Samuel. You met Samuel? Well, what did Samuel say to you? He said um, that the, the donkeys are okay. That's his response. He's still got oil in his hair, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Samuel told me that, uh, yeah, the donkeys are okay. Aren't you leaving out something, Saul? Right? Kind of reminds me when I text my kids late at night and I'm asking, you know, how are things going? Meaning, what time are you going to be home? Do you need a ride? Da, 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 da. And my answer, the answer is, uh, fine, good. All right, throw me a bone here. What time do you need a ride home, right? Give me some more detail. Here's the uncle. Well, what did Samuel say? The donkeys are okay. That's all he gets. Well, and, and then there's a third kind of yellow flag that shows up here. Because after Saul is, is being clear that he's going to be king, 
It's all been settled. There's a public inauguration. And Samuel invites all the, the tribes, all the people to, to come and, 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 and behold their king, right? And, and, and see the, the brand new king. They've been wanting a king. Here's the king. And so it's a big event. It's a big banquet. It's the unveiling of the king. And you can just see Samuel saying to the people, you've been looking for a king? And the people go, he goes, have I got a king for you? Ladies and gentlemen, will you put your hands together? Give it up for Saul. Spotlight goes over. There's nobody there. Balloons are falling. Confetti's falling. No Saul. He's like, sorry. Give it up for Saul. No Saul. I'm like, where's Saul? God has to reveal to them where Saul is. Where is Saul? He's hiding among the baggage. That's what it says. He's hiding among all the luggage. Okay, well, okay, that's a bit of a problem. That's a yellow flag at least. Why does Saul not show up? The text doesn't say. Is it a character issue? Does he even want to be king? Does it point to maybe some deep-seated insecurities? Okay, so it's a bit of an embarrassing start. Now, after Saul gets established as king, initially things go quite well. He wins his first battle. Things are looking pretty good. But then we read this. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 13. 1 Samuel chapter 13, beginning in verse 5. It's interesting. It says, The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. Verse 6, When the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and pits and cisterns. So we read that there's some challenges that's going to be facing Saul. And the challenges, big surprise, are coming from the Philistines. And we read that the Philistines, they are well-armed. They got more chariots than the Israelites have men. They got chariots, they got everything. And the Israelites see how powerful the Philistines are, and they're scared. They're hiding in the rocks, hiding in caves. And Samuel knows, Samuel knows, man, there's o the only way Israel will ever defeat the Philistines is if God intervenes. Kind of like an echo of the story of Gideon. And so Samuel knows this, and so he, he pulls Saul aside, and he gives him very clear instructions. This is what you are to do. And we read about these uh, instructions in 1 Samuel 10, verse 8. It says this. It's very clear instructions. Saul, go down ahead of me to Gilgal. That's the town. I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, but you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you're going to do. So go to Gilgal. Wait there for how many days? Seven days. Wait for seven days and then I will come and I will give you further instructions. You got that, Saul. Got it. How many days? Seven days. Wait in Gilgal. Okay. Problem is, is time goes by very slowly for Saul. And Saul's getting anxious because he's seen this, this army and, and they're, they're impressive. And so by day six, Paul's getting, or Paul, Saul's getting a little uh, twitchy. He's getting restless. And he's looking at his soldiers because the soldiers are like, uh, this is a big army. And the soldiers are starting to run. And so Saul's like, where is Samuel? He said he's going to be here. Day six goes by. Day seven comes. 
Saul's looking at his troops. He's like, these guys are scared. I don't see Samuel anywhere. You know what? I'm going to make the call. And so Samuel says, all right, bring some animals. I will do the sacrifice. I will do all, all the sacrificing and all the things you're supposed to do before God. And then we can get fighting. So he gets impatient and he takes things, matters into his own hands. And it's easy for me to look at Saul and go, Saul, 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 how could you be so impatient until I look at my own life? I mean, that's me in a nutshell. I'm always impatient. I can read God's word. God's word can be very clear to me. Wait on me. All right. Until I get impatient. And then I'll go ahead and I'll make the call and I'll do what I want to do and I'll say, God, can you please catch up and bless what I've decided? Right? I'm always running ahead of God. And I'm always saying, you know, come on, come on, come on. Saul, he's afraid. He's afraid and he's anxious. And I'll tell you, whenever you're afraid and anxious, you become impatient. So what does he do? He literally takes the bull by the horns and he offers the sacrifice himself. Look in verse 11, chapter 13, verse 11. Samuel shows up. He goes, what have you done? Samuel shows up. He does show up. And he says to Saul, what have you done? And Saul replied, he goes, well, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you had not come at the set time and the Philistines were assembling and I thought, oh, now the Philistines will come down against me a Gilgal and I have not sought the Lord's favor, so I felt compelled to offer burnt offerings. It's interesting. It doesn't show through in the English as well, but Paul, uh, but uh, Saul says this. He says, you know, I've been waiting. I was waiting and I was waiting. You hadn't shown up. And I realized that before we go into battle, I had not, what the, it literally says, is I had not yet put the Lord into a gentle mood. That's what it actually says. I'd not put the Lord into a gentle mood, which I think is a bit revealing in, in terms of how Saul sees God. God is someone who's like, oh, man, he's always mad. He's always mad. I got to make God happy with me. I got to put him into a gentle mood. Then things will go well. And I think about my own life. I mean, how many times it's like, okay, I did my devotions this morning. I read God's word. So now my day is going to go well. Oh, have you prayed? Oh, we need to pray as if God's in a bad mood. He doesn't want to listen to you. We need to pray, get God on our side, and then things will go well. And we do the same thing all the time. Now look at Samuel's reaction, verse 13. He says, you've done a foolish thing. You've not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would establish your kingdom over Israel for all time, but now your kingdom will not endure. And this becomes a real turning point in Saul's life. From this point onwards, he makes a series of really unwise decisions. We read in the very next chapter, he makes this rash oath, rash vow that gets, almost gets his son killed, almost destroys his army. I mean, he tells his army, he goes, all right, nobody eats or sleeps until we defeat the Philistines. Well, who tells your army not to eat or sleep? I mean, he's crazy. 
And so he does these stupid things, and his son almost dies, his army almost gets wiped out. And, but then in chapter 15, something really bad happens that shows the state of Saul's heart. Once again, Saul is given very clear instructions. Here's the instructions. Saul, attack the Amalekites, another enemy of Israel. Attack the Amalekites, and when you attack them, you are to destroy everything. Don't take any plunder. Don't take anything for yourself. Just destroy everything. And this goes on, and after the battle, we read these words in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 9. But Saul and his army spared the leader and the best of the sheep and the cattle, the fat calves, the lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak they totally destroyed. Saul goes a different way again. Different way than what God had commanded. A way that kind of lined his pockets and benefited him and his men. And, and if that weren't bad enough, it's Saul's response that really cooks him. Have you ever met somebody who, you know, they've done something that they shouldn't have done, but they're pretending they're innocent? Have you ever met somebody like that? Yeah, I, mean, I was thinking about uh, my, my younger brother when we were kids, when he's lying on the ground holding his eye and screaming. And my dad said, what happened? And I said, oh, I don't know. He, somehow he ran into my finger. I have no idea how this happened. And that's Saul. I mean, Saul, this happens. And uh, Saul sees Samuel. And what does Saul say? He says, Samuel, oh, buddy, isn't the Lord good? Blessed be the name of the Lord. What a glorious day. This has been so good. And you know, Samuel, just for the record, I did everything that the Lord commanded. And Samuel's like, really? Yes, I did. And so I was, I, you know, I was born on a Tuesday, not last Tuesday. What's the sound of all the mooing and baying I hear in the background? What's with all the cows and the sheep? And you see Saul. Saul's like, oh, yes, the cows, the sheep, yeah. Funny story, funny story. Um, we, 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 we meant to destroy everything, but then we thought, then we thought, we'll keep the cows and we'll keep the sheep and use them as an offering. And this is really interesting what he says. We'll use the cows and we'll use the sheep as an offering to the Lord your God. Isn't it interesting? Not the Lord my God, the Lord our but the Lord your God. His heart is hard. And, and Samuel's basically say, says to him, he says, you have no idea. You have no idea who God is. You have no idea. You think God is a philosophy or some idea or some instrument that you can manipulate. That's not who God is. You don't get it. You don't get it, Saul. God doesn't really care about the sacrifices and then all the offerings. What does he say? Look at uh, in verse 22, chapter 15, verse 22. He says, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice because God knows the, if he has your heart, he's got all of you. So it's not about, okay, you do this, you do this, you do this. He wants your heart. And so at this point, Saul, finally, at this point, he comes so close, so close to repenting. 
Look in verse 24, chapter 15, verse 24. Then Saul says to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instruction. Ha, oh, good. But he doesn't stop. He says, well, you got to realize I was afraid of the men, so I kind of gave in to them. He throws his soldiers under the bus. It's not my fault. You know, I was, I was scared of the soldiers. And so Samuel says to Saul, he goes, you know what? It's over. It's over. Your kingship is done. And Saul's, no, it's not. And Samuel says, it is. It's over. And Saul grabs on to Samuel. And he says, it cannot be over. And in doing so, he rips his robe. And Samuel says, you see the way this is ripped? The kingdom's going to be ripped from your hands. And it's interesting because here you have Saul, when he's being called to be king, he's hiding in the baggage, but now he won't let go. And after this, if you follow his story, it's dark, it's heavy. Because um, it just gets worse and worse and worse. And there's this downward, downward spiral. And for a while, um, for a while, the, the next king, because at this point Samuel says, you know what, or God says to Samuel, I want you to anoint this other person to be king. He's going to take over. And who's that person? David, yeah. And uh, so David's going to be king. But for a while, it's interesting, David ends up working for Saul, working in his court. And things go from bad to worse. And we read, it's interesting, in uh, chapter 16, verse 14, it says, Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. It's kind of a strange passage. The word evil spirit could also be translated as a distressing spirit. It seems to be that uh, God is allowing, maybe even causing Saul to experience deep pain in the hopes that Saul is going to turn and repent. Bless you. Yeah. Now, during this time, Saul experiences, I mean, it's, it's, it's dark. He, he experiences complete emotional and psychological collapse. He's subject to violent mood swings, depression. Um, this carries on after David defeats Goliath. We'll be looking at David in the weeks ahead. After David defeats Goliath, everybody's cheering David's praise. And Saul, he's consumed with jealousy. He's consumed with jealousy. He's so jealous that um, he tries killing David a handful of times. He has a javelin. Good thing he's a poor shot because he kept missing David. Um, and he keeps carrying on. And he, he's, he gets angry at his son. He tries to kill his son, Jonathan, because Jonathan's defending David. And his life is spiral, spiraling downwards and downwards and downwards. But it gets worse. He hits rock bottom in a really tough passage. And that's in chapter 28. He hits the absolute bottom. So turn to 1 Samuel chapter 28. This is, this is heavy. This is his darkest hour. By the time we get to chapter 28, Samuel has died. Saul is alone. He's, he's struggling with the fact that he's no longer going to be king. He's also recognizing that the Philistines are about to attack again, and he needs to know, what am I to do? What am I to do? And he does the unthinkable. He actually asks God, and God doesn't answer him. And then he gets this idea. He gets this idea. And... Uh, he does the unthinkable. He looks for help from, from a witch or from a necromancer or a medium, someone who speaks to the dead. 
And he finds this woman in the town of Endor. And he arranges for this woman to conduct a seance. Now, the interesting background is, look at chapter 28, verse 3. It says, Now Samuel is dead, and all of Israel mourned for him and buried him in his own town of Ramah. But look at this. And it says, Saul had expelled the mediums and the spiritists from the land. So apparently Saul had, had, had ex, uh, expelled all the necromancers from the land, but it sure didn't take him long to find one. Um, and so he comes to this woman. And he says, I need you. I need you, to f- I need you to bring up Samuel. I need to speak to Samuel. And this woman's like, oh, well, I can't do that because we know that according to the law of the land, uh, there's no necromancers in, 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 in the land anymore. So <laughs> I can't do that. And then Saul, he's in disguise, right? He's in disguise. He says, look, do it. You won't get in any trouble. And she's like, oh, okay, then I can help. Um, <laughs> unveils her crystal ball. And um, it's interesting. She says to him, she goes, okay, I'll call up Samuel for you. Now what happens next, if it wasn't so dark, it is a little bit comical. Because it's kind of implied in the whole story of the the witch of Endor or the medium at Endor, it's kind of implied that this woman's a bit of a fake. And she's like one of those people that you see on late night TV or on, on the internet that, you know, pretend to talk to dead relatives. And, and so she's, she's planning. She's like, okay, you want me to talk to Samuel? Yes, let's talk to Samuel. And she pulls out her crystal ball. And she's planning to, like, oh, yes, I see Samuel. And this is what he's saying. You know, she's going to fake it, right? But the moment she says, okay, I'm going to call up Samuel, who shows up? Samuel shows up. The... Ghosts of Samuel or something. Something comes up and it's Samuel and she freaks. She screams out. She's like, I never thought it was actually going to happen. And she falls over and so something happens. Now, if you're like me, you get all sorts of questions about this passage. All sorts of questions. I mean, well, what is this? Is this a ghost? Um, is it a deceptive spirit? Is it Samuel's spirit? And how is it that when Samuel shows up, all of a sudden she knows that the man in disguise is King Saul? Lots of questions. <laughs> I wish we had answers. But for our purposes today, we can't ignore that something startling happens. But it's, it's so pitiful. Saul is so pitiful because Saul, he sees Samuel, the ghost of Samuel, and he says, the Philistines are attacking and I don't know what to do. Tell me what to do. And it's almost like he, he, he's, he's, he's hoping that things will go back to the way they used to be with, you know, remember how Samuel used to give me advice and I used to listen to your advice sort of? And remember the, the partnership that we had? Why can't we keep doing it like we did in the olden days? Well, he's dead. That's one, one reason. And Samuel looks at Saul and he just says, doesn't give him any new information. He says, you know what? You're done. You're done. Tomorrow, you will go to battle and you will die. You will die. And that's what happens. Goes to battle and he dies. Him and his son dies. Now, the question is, is how does Saul get into this place? How did Saul end up in such a dark place? 
Well, there's a hint. One of the reasons, I think there's a hint, and I didn't discover this. Somebody pointed this out to me. In 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 8, it refers, makes reference to one of Saul's sons. And one of his sons was named, this was his name. His name was Ish-bosheth. Ish-bosheth, which means man of shame. Kind of a lousy name to give your kid, right? <laughs> Come here, man of shame. <laughs> like, it doesn't give you much of a head start in life if your name is man of shame. But it was better than what his real name was. Because we actually find out what his true name was. The, the author in 1 Samuel may have changed it. His real name is found in 1 Chronicles chapter 9, verse 39. And do you know what his true name was? Ish-ba'al, which means man of Baal, which is a pagan fertility god, right? Which I think kind of gives you a little insight into Saul's character. And it seems to be, and this kind of plays out in his life, it seems to be that for, for Saul, it didn't matter if it was Baal, if it was Yahweh, it did not matter. Because whatever the God is, the God was there to serve him. In many ways, Saul was just like the kings of the surrounding nations. Israel got what they're asking for. You want a king just like everyone else? This is what the kings are like everywhere else. Because the kings everywhere else, they looked at their gods as instruments for their own end. How can this God help me achieve my political purposes? How can this God help me do what I want to do? That's how Saul saw God. It didn't matter if it was Baal or Yahweh. It doesn't matter. God existed to help him get what he wanted. And the problem is, is that's not who God is. He's never an instrument for our purposes. He is life, he is love, and he is holy. And in the end, in the end, Saul, he dies this horrible death. Estranged from God, estranged from the people. It's interesting. But um, when Samuel dies, when Samuel dies, we read in the text that it says all of Israel wept. They all cried when Samuel died because Samuel was a prophet. He was loved. He was a man of God. When Saul dies, we read that David, King David, ordered the nation to cry. Yeah cry. And it was tragic. It was tragic. Because here's the death of the one who is so full of promise, but he threw everything away. And here's the thing about it. It's a scary thing about Saul is that he's not like Goliath. It's not like he started off bad. It's not like he's like this horrible character. But his life is a series of tragedies. And I think he's a warning to us in two ways. And this is what we'll conclude with. Probably more than two ways, but let's look at two. One is this. Saul is a warning to all of us who are tempted to be religious but not take God seriously. And the church is full of religious people. And many people, if you were asked the question, you know, are you a Christian? A lot of people say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to church. I go to the church up the hill. Oh, it's a good church. Got a good kids program. And you say, oh, so you're a Jesus follower. <laughs> Let's not get carried away. I mean, I'm a Christian. I, I like church. I think church is good. It helps my kids. But let's not get carried away with this whole following Jesus stuff. I mean, that's kind of taking it a little too seriously, don't you think? Let's just go to church and be religious. And that's enough. 
See, Saul, he was happy to play the role of the religious one. He was happy to play the role of a religious king. But the reality is he had no desire, no expectation to actually speak to God, to know God, to hear from him, and to live in, in his presence. But here's the thing. You can play the religious games all you want. You could be religious. You could say, yeah, I go to church. But here's the danger. What happens when God shows up? I mean, what Hebrews 10.31 says, it says, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And I think this is a, it's a warning to us not to play the religious game. I mean, the world, the world's quite happy for us to be religious. Everybody, a little bit of religion won't hurt anyone. What the world is terrified of <laughs> is Jesus' words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's terrifying. And that's why Jesus is always a scandal on. He's always a stumbling block. People are okay with religion, but the J word, get a little nervous about. I think the second warning is this. Saul's a warning for us to press on and to finish well in our Christian lives. Because Saul, he starts off well enough, but he makes a bunch of bad decisions. And in the end, he's a shell of a human being. He's completely hollow. And here's the thing. I've been pastoring. I'm in my 20th year of pastoring. I know you're thinking, boy, you look too young to be pastoring for 20 years. I, I get that. I get that. <laughs> but here's the thing. Over the 20 years, I've met so many pastors, elders, small group leaders, leaders in the church that had started off so well and seen their lives go downwards. I've seen people walk away from Jesus go their own way. I've seen their marriages fall apart. I've seen friendships fall apart. I've seen families fall apart. I've seen people that started off so well, but ending so poorly. And I think Saul's life is a real warning to us. It's a real warning for, to us to, to, to finish well. To take Paul's words where he says, watch carefully how you walk, to take that to heart. Because it's, it's not easy to be a Christian today. And every part, every part of our society will be pushing us towards not finishing well. But you and I need to spur each other on to finish the race. And that's a warning. I think Saul's life is a warning. But here's a good thing about warnings. Warnings have a purpose. They keep us out of the ditch and keep us on track. And some of you, you are making decisions in your life now that if you keep going the way you're going, you're going to hit a ditch. But the good news is that it's not too late to get back on track. It requires an old-fashioned word, but it's an important word, and it's a word is called repentance. And repentance is simply this. I'm not going to keep going this way because that's going to lead to death. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to walk in the, in the way of life. I'm going to walk in the way of Jesus. I'm not going to take the broad path. I'm going to take the narrow path. Turn away from death. Turn to life. That's what repentance is. The way back is the way that Saul should have gone. It's a way of repentance. So my encouragement to you today is the encouragement that I'm taking in my own life is that you and I, we need to align our lives with the author of life, Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we're in a, whole, a lot of trouble. 
And some of you feel like, oh, it's too late. It's not too late. It's never too late. God is a God of second chances, third chances, a hundred chances. And because of the cross of Jesus Christ, you and I can always turn back, always turn back and start again. Do you believe that? All right, let's pray. Jesus, we come back to you again and again and again. Thank you for the warning that you gave us this morning through the life of Saul. May his life and his decision be a warning for how we are living our lives. Jesus, you want all of us. You don't want us to play religious games. What's the point of that? You are life, you are love, you are hope, and our lives only work insofar as they're connected with you, the living word. And so help us to come back to you and to find our life, find our identity, find our purpose, find our mission in you. And resist the urge to go our own way. Lord, would you be our vision? Would you take all of us so that we could walk with you? That's our desire. In Jesus' name, amen.